Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. I'm Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and we have some things to talk about. You know, it's been over two years of doing this podcast, over 100 episodes. It's been over two years of actually coaching other people at various levels, by the way. Large groups, small groups, individual people that have signed up for just to work with us or for work with me, sometimes us. We do work together in the larger groups of men and women. So some of the things that we had to discover on our own that were not presented at the various conferences we went to, and you find... And this is not to speak badly of conferences because I think they're great. And this is where we learned. I first go in saying, how did I miss this? And so my eyes were all about everybody else in the room knew more than I did. Well, then after a number of these conferences, one, you've obviously learned more. So that is no longer true. Probably wasn't true initially anyway. But you realize the presenters know a lot about one little thing. And they're putting that one little thing that is in the bigger circle of low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diet or low-carb ketogenic diet, and that's helpful. And I appreciate all that. However, there gets to be a kind of uh, a shadow part of that circle that things don't want to be talked about. Uh, nobody really wants to talk about the negative side of dairy, just not going to go there. Uh, they don't want to talk about how there's only a 50% success rate by a number of professional institutions and people in terms of helping pe uh, having people benefit from the ketogenic diet. So uh, obviously that's where I've had to learn uh, whether I wanted to or not and us helping people as well and me taking sort of the lab perspective on say we're going to find out about the data. It was interesting what showed itself. I see that a little bit like you can look out over the water, maybe even a cove if you're imagining in your own mind and it all looks pretty calm. Assuming it's a calm day. And yet you don't see what's under the surface. You don't see if there's rocks or a pile of rocks or a jetty that's out there that could rip a hole in the side of your boat, however big or small. So looking below the surface of what has been presented to us or presented to me at the various conferences and digging deeper has really allowed me to see, one, it is still very remarkable. I missed it, period. I own that. And it was not part of my education. However, I think I see a lot more than most people, and I think the conversation, it goes a lot deeper. And right now, this whole idea of keto, whether it's psychiatric disorders, weight loss, immune disorders, neurological disorders, um, 
arthritic disorders, there's still things, once people have garnered a certain sort of following about that particular specialty that they're talking about, they don't necessarily want to talk about the gray areas anymore. They had some success, move on, please follow them for that particular thing that they're good in. So I appreciate that, but I find that the conversations are are limited. Doors are closed, a certain sort of continuations. Have you ever thought about? Don't know why that is now. It's sort of a cultural change we've all made. People are more concerned about who likes them, who's following them, than an honest exchange of answering some questions. They all want to be specialists. They all want to be, you know, they got it. You follow them. They know what's going on. As opposed to there's still another 27 questions that really need to be answered. Anyway, enough of that. But some of the things that I have had to learn in digging deeper to look under the 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 water, so to say, where some of those rocks are and those jetties are, have been the following, and we'll go into that. Really, I think the three biggest obstacles to losing weight on low-carb uh, ketogenic diet are as follows. Insulin resistance. You can say, well, of course it's insulin resistance. That's why everybody's heavy. Okay, well, there is a big range on insulin resistance. So how do I know about that? Well, I know about that because basically, in the very least, you take labs. So labs are easy and they're cheap. Insulin. So fasting insulin, concurrent with fasting glucose. And if you really want to spiff it up, then you'll do a fasting glucagon. That's an expensive test. You'll do a fasting CRP, which is an inflammatory marker. You'll do a fasting HDL cholesterol. You'll do a fasting triglycerides. And that has to be at least a 12-hour fast. Okay, so now you got the rules down. That's one set you could do. If you have not been keto, that is, if you have not been producing ketones for a while, the first test you might find really pretty interesting to do, and but not a fun test to do, just the results are interesting. And that is what they call a glucose tolerance test in which you take uh, 75 grams of glucose. If, first of all, you do the fasting insulin, fasting, um, all the tests I just talked about. Then you have your 75 grams of glucose, and 30 minutes later, you measure glucose and insulin, another 30 minutes, glucose and insulin, an hour later, same, an hour later, the same, an hour later, the same, and an hour later, the same. So it's a long time you have to hang around to have your blood work done. It's just small, small labs, nothing, no big major contribution of blood is required for these. That data will really give you a sense of how your pancreas is doing for one, what your body needs to depend on in terms of can it control your, uh, glucose levels in a quote-unquote normal range, or can it not? And then if it if it is a normal glucose consistent, so they call that euglycemia, or as in well, as in euphemism, right? Okay, so that looks good, but now you find where is your insulin? Is it whoppingly high? Which it probably will be. So if I haven't talked to you and you're concerned about losing weight and you're really not that familiar with blood work, my guess is you will probably be insulin resistant, which is going to be you're producing a lot more insulin than everybody else. And you can get right down to certain formulas, which we use, not worth going over here. And I find the simplest thing to do is really it's a ratio of uh, triglycerides to HDL. It gives you a nice ratio. And that 
it's pretty much in on par with uh, Homer IR, which is a fancy insulin resistance uh, formula that many people use, and you can use that too. You can look it up online, in fact. Okay, so you got that down. That should set you out. So you have those labs in, and then you go, are you insulin resistant or not? Was there a lot of insulin required? That's the GTT I was talking about. But it was a lot of insulin required to keep your glucose down. Could you keep your glucose down? Was your glucose high? So that would be the hemoglobin 1AC. You know, what were your averages there? Okay, so you have that. Now what do you do with a spectrum of people? Let's say there's 100 people that have tested that they have to produce a lot of insulin to keep their glucose either normal or semi-normal in the course of that GTT test. Or, assuming 100 people did not want to do their glucose tolerance test, they go, forget that. It's uncomfortable. I don't have that much time. Give me something simple. And you just defaulted to the fasting insulin and fasting glucose and those others. All right, you start there. You'll get a um, a pretty decent picture. It won't be as as accurate. And by the way, if you've been keto for a while and you want to go do the GGT, it's not going to work out. You have to go back for at least 14 days and eat, I think it's 250 grams of carbs for 14 days to put your metabolism back the way it was. And then you can go test it. So why waste your time, right? Stupid rule. But you'll find you, you're going to waste your money if you just go in and take a GGT because it's very, very muted. You won't have a very big spike up in insulin or anything because of your uh, ketones. So anyway, you find you have this big range of about 100 people. What are you going to do? You say, all right, well, we're going to follow their macros, right? We're going to follow their macros. They're all going to eat under 20 carbs a day. You've calculated their protein to be roughly around one and a half grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And then you say the rest, uh, then you've calculated their, their BMR. And so you know what their gross caloric intake should be. And so the rest would just be fat. And that's how it goes, right? And yet, what are your expectations? Are your expectations that somebody's going to start losing weight? If that's your beginning, few people actually lose weight starting there. Hope you're not disappointed. Well, anyways, that's what we started. So we had to learn from there. I don't mean us personally, but with, with people. So just the ketogenic diet by itself, unless somebody is so high carbs and has been eating you know, way over their caloric intake, that would be a significant change and they would probably lose weight. But they would have to be pretty big, meaning heavy, obese, extra fat. Okay, so that means it's pretty much an extreme minority where you're dealing with very obese people. And in that case, it might even be fun because you've been making some fast gains quickly. But they're a minority of the people who are going to come in to say, yeah, let's do this. I want to work with you and I promise I'll be doing the work and let's do this. They're usually, uh, they're usually obese people, uh, 50, hundred pounds overweight, uh, height someplace between five and a half to six feet. And usually the age is fifties or sixties as an average, your avatar, so to say. Okay. Well, you've helped some others are not doing all that great. What are you going to do? Panic? Um, no, you try to work on the quality of the fats. You go through and you educate them about the fats. They're not going to do seed oils. Okay, that's a good thing. Don't do seed oils. You're going to get out the processed foods. 
that's a good thing. That's required of everybody. This is not esoteric. Get that out. So you got good fats coming in. What are good fats? Good fats are the animal fats. You have the tallow and the lards. And you can do, and they're probably taking their fish oils, or ideally they're even having salmon. So they're getting their fish oil in their fish. That's pretty good. Remember, your brain is, what, 80% DHA, DHA, which is one of the two essential fatty acids that you get from fish. And, and you get it from animal, other animal products too, but you get a lot from fish. Okay, so that's improved, but still there's not a lot in terms of weight gain. All right, well, the first step we've learned in, uh, we have a, a 90-day program in the first two weeks they get all their labs done so they got to get their big metabolic panel done they usually go to quest and after that they get an intracellular test done that's an intra lymphocyte test for micronutrient deficiencies and so these nutrient deficiencies are caused from a they've been eating a life of processed foods that had no nutrients for them to gain in the first place uh, or b it's uh, induced because of medications so a lifetime of that, you know, they had four or five decades of that behind them. You can bet there's going to be some pretty big holes that you're going to have to fill in with the appropriate um, nutrient. Or that will be one of your assignments anyway. Okay. So now you've looked at that. You go, nutrient. So then, the, then they do their hormone panel and then they do a genome panel. Okay, so what do we now, what do we find that's true for a lot of people? We saw that insulin, so you really have to educate them on how they get their insulin up. And that was a carb consequence. They ate a lot of carbs. Their insulin was sustained high on a regular basis. Well, now you have to counsel them on decrease the number of times you're going to eat during the day. And this is assuming they did the first thing, which is 20 grams or less per day of carbs. They finally got there, right? So that's what they're doing. Give them a week or so, they'll adjust, they'll get to there. And you're tracking them on whatever your favorite tracker app is. Okay, they got that done. And you look at their insulin again. It's come down some, but it's not like, oh my gosh, we just made a windfall. You know, we changed everything. These people have that expectations, by the way. Those who come to you about keto, they expect that it's going to change as soon as they start producing ketones. Well, so you have to um, get rid of that idea. You have to tell them, no, it's it's a bit of a work. It took you 30 or 40 years to get here. It's going to take you um, at least six months of serious work to make a serious dent. Okay. Okay. So now they've educated on the insulin and what else did you find? You know, you and you looked at some of the nutritional deficiencies. Well, I would say the the second area that is in the comes up in the metabolic panel is really about thyroid. You know, thyroid could be uh, it's usually you can say, oh yeah, it's hypothyroid. You would have known that. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But you find, depending on the person, if they've been self diagnosing themselves and taking a lifetime of supplements, you know, unprescribed, but just themselves of all the various articles they've read because they're smart people in quotes that, um, they may have induced, induced, and I've seen this more than a few times, an autoimmune condition. So more than likely they're going to start heading off to Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is uh, hypothyroid, but an autoimmune variation of that. So now you go, Hmm. Well, clearly we think get the carbs out, that autoimmune 
noise, I call it. Those uh, antibodies are probably going to start decreasing on their own. You're, you're going to be heading off to a good direction. But remember, these are the people that are just not getting the gains. They have this thyroid thing, and they're seeing some people in the in the group going, wow, you know, I'm reporting some good gains in, and this is all I've done. So you you got to get them away from looking at each other, but they need to know that they had different labs. This is where the data comes in. So you say, well, we have to, we may have to take care of this hypothyroid issue separately. And um, I did mention glucagon, which very few people take, and we've been taking that as a test. We find that those that are low in glucagon, so what is glucagon? Glucagon is the thing, is the hormone that uh, when you're stressed, it tells the liver, make some glucose. You don't need to eat carbs ever. You can make all the glucose you want. And this is what makes all the glucose. This tells your liver, make glucose. Please make glucose. And there's other places in the body you can get some glucose dumped out there. So you're checking glucagon. And this goes way back to the 60s, the insulin versus glucagon. If you're making plenty of your own glucose by glucagon, you don't need to eat any carbs. And I just said that. But when people think, okay, um, I'll just stop eating carbs and I'll be all glucagon and no insulin. Well, that's how it would go in a game show. Uh, it doesn't adjust quite that well. And what we find in taking more and more people's glucagon and insulin, of course, but we find there's a correlation between those who are low thyroid and those that had low, but in range, and then low out of range. So you go, well, how is that? And there's not a lot of research on that. But so that's the first head scratcher. They have a thyroid problem. And also they're making less glucose. And you go, well, that's interesting. They're making less glucose. Well, they're not making, I'm sorry, they're not making less glucose. Their glucose numbers are fairly normal. Their insulin numbers are fairly normal, maybe a little bit elevated. Um, but their glucagon is down. So they are making of their own, they're making less than everybody else is making, according to these labs. And uh, they're eating more carbs to sort of make up for that. So it's an interesting situation. So now you got the thyroid and you got glucagon to take care of. None of these issues were discussed in any of the conferences. They don't, you know, they're just outliers. You know, please have them go to the end of the line and be taken care of by somebody else because they're changing the data and it's not working out well or something like that. But you're going to have to deal with it. And it's not that hard to deal with it. Once you understand it, you can um, help their thyroid by having them go on thyroid. So that's not too difficult. You can refer them to their doctor and the doctor will see the labs and they'll go on some thyroid. So even if it's temporary, temporary being six months or so, they'll go back. Once you're on thyroid, it'll be, it'll be adjusted and checked on. Usually it's by an endocrinologist, but it could be by a family doc as well. And so that's going to help them a lot. I mean, the metabolism is going to speed up. You don't know how they got there. We're living in a polluted world and a lot of pollutants do directly lead to hypothyroid, whether it's heavy metals or, well, if you're what they call, used to call downwinders from um, various nuclear power plants and such, there's a lot of reasons it can affect and even, and that's a very short list. So uh, they have it, you've dealt with that, they're going to feel better and now they're going to start burning more, burning more fat. Okay. So the 
The other thing I wanted to say is that in the course of the program, we real we realized that it's 90 days, so six weeks and six weeks, 12-week program. For the first six weeks, you really have to make sure that they're having a high-fat diet, meaning they are doing the rest with fat. Remember we said you calculated the protein and you had the 20 grams of carbs or less. Well, the rest is fat. Make sure they're having the rest is fat. And for them, it's going to be weird. They're having to add more fat to their diet to lose fat, and they're probably not going to be losing it that quickly, but they'll be losing some. You have to sort of box in their metabolism so it really does start to remember how to A, make ketones, B, burn ketones, but also, and here's the part that nobody else talks about, their microbiome, their small intestine, their small bowel, their large bowel has to change that whole microbiome to be a, a fat burner, if you will. It has to, so when you eat protein and fat, which is primarily what ketogenic diet is, that you're all, it takes a, a complete change in terms of the different bacterial and viral groups and fungal groups and archaea groups that are in your gut. That's what makes up your gut. This, And it's like shifting of the guard. So I put about six months, uh, sorry, I took put about six weeks on that. So if they really, you really have to harp on them to say, please increase your fats for the six months. However, at the end of the six months, cramming in that extra fats to complete that macro picture really isn't necessary. Let it fall away. You know, let them go by appetite. So at that point, if they are now used to eating, and so we're going to assume this is all whole foods we're talking now, right? No processed stuff. So at that point, hopefully they discover they really do like steak and fish and poultry and lamb and all sorts of protein. You know, they it's much more difficult on plants. So I'm saying this person's going to go animals for this conversation, even though we actually have worked with vegans um, successfully. That now they realized, one is they like eating these things and they don't need to eat much more beyond having some um, a small meal, lunchtime-ish, and then uh, a dinner someplace between 4.30 and 6.30. Entirely up to them because it's usually, you know, with their family or their partner and so on and so forth. And so they're going to eat, let's say, 30% of their calories, fats, and probably no no carbs because they've graduated to that and protein during um, their lunch break kind of thing. And then 70% then of their calories will be their dinner meal. So small, then a larger. So it's not OMAD, it's not just one meal a day, it's two meals a day, but a smaller and a larger. Now, because they're eating what I call whole foods protein, and all protein has its own fat, right? So you're having your steak, has plenty of fat on it. You're having your chicken, um, that has less fat. You can even have your sardines, even has less fat and things like that. But you can um, either add some fat or not have it. We do apple cider vinegar. And so the point is what ha is happening here, the amount of fat after, after they are fat adapted drops down significantly. So they're now eating about half the fat, their body can burn the fat they have, and they'll find they'll start dropping their fats very quickly. And it will seem to them like they're not exactly following the rules. And 
it seems to them like they're not following the rules because they're no longer measuring their proteins. They're not measuring their fats. They're just having the smallish meal and a largest meal. And it seems to work for them. And it works for everybody, actually. So you got to get them to that place in which they are primarily just eating a whole food source of protein. So let me clarify on the use of the word protein. And this goes back to this debate I have with Dr. Savis. Um, and that is when people actually take a protein powder, they're being stupid. Oh, I know they're in the gym and they're weightlifting. They want to be buff and so on and so forth, but they're still being stupid. And that's a very glycemic uh, diet to have, especially if they have whey. And by the way, whey only exists after cheese is made. There is no such thing as whey in cow milk. Whey is a byproduct of making cheese. So it became popular and it's what they used to just feed pigs. So gosh, they fed it to pigs. Why? It made pigs fat, but it's not part of the essential, essential amino acids. So it's kind of a growth hormone, if you will. So you go, oh, you want muscles? Growth hormone. Yeah, I want that. Um, but there's really no reason to have it at all. Okay. So these, if you were to line up all the amino acids and then take them one at a time and see how that would increase your your blood glucose. And actually there are uh, research doing exactly this and they give it a ratio of you have this pro this amino acid and do you burn more uh, carbon dioxide versus oxygen, meaning are you a fat burner versus a glucose burner on a per amino acid basis. And they find that our, I think it's about three amino acids, arginine and two others, sorry, can't, can't think of, I think uh, leucine is probably another one, that they are right up there almost equivalent with glucose or equivalent with glucose. So that's amazing, eh? So that's why, and for those who have been following this conversation before, it's like, well, that's why they would put carbs and proteins together because they both could have a glycemic, meaning a glucose response. All right. But that's not the real world. Nobody in history ever ate, dug in their spoon to powdered amino acids and added some water and stuffed it in their face and just had that. That's ridiculous. So it's an artificial comparison to say protein versus uh, carbohydrates or fats relative to glucose index. That only happens in a lab. So in real life, when I say whole food protein, that means the steak, the chicken, the fish, and you know what I mean, the egg, all of that. That's the whole food part. So it has a lot of fat in there. Even if you trimmed away the fat, you still have a lot of fat in your meat. Um, let's less, less so in most fish. Um, obviously, salmon is very fatty. You can, you know, you can only have so much salmon because I'm bad enough. And that's because it's so rich. Okay. So when you have that, now we're back to saying, hey, you guys or women, just have protein, whole food proteins. Don't even have to calculate it. Have some around lunch and have some the rest at dinner or a different form of it. They're going to find in a week or two, they've dropped weight pretty considerably. So that ends up being the core. And you can say, well, that's carnivore. Well, yeah, it is. Um, if you have to call it something, call it carnivore. That's where you head. That's where you end up. So as you evolve through this low-carb, ketogenic lifestyle, 
and you like it and you're finally getting healthier, you're really heading towards a whole food protein only. And that's going to be 95% of your diet. Whether you want to keep the salads and the other carbs, totally unnecessary. That's strictly a thing you want to do. Um, and if you want to have your treats every so often, like Judy makes, oh, she's pining for a cheesecake that she does once a year. It'll be have to eat after Easter because she has to get her blood work done and she's been off dairy and she wants to see what that looks like without dairy. So uh, we'll have it in a couple of weeks and there's only so much of that you can have at one sitting, but it is great. But you save those special occasions for being special occasions. This isn't a religion, but that's where it heads. And if you have good sources of protein and you diversify as much as possible, and there's been people doing this for 20, 30 years. So there's not like, oh, that's a weird diet. No, it's maybe weird to you because you've been on the processed food diet. You've been on the diet of lies, as I call it. You've been on the diet of lies since lies, as in dishonest, since you were born, after you were born, when give it a couple of years, we'll assume you had a healthy childhood and breastfed and all that. So after that phase of your life, post-toddlerhood. Okay. And so that's where that ends up. So there, there you've now marched through all our plans. So what are the biggest obstacles? I told you about uh, insulin resistance and what that is. And you basically have to sustain. So over time, you know, insulin isn't something you can just drop that way, but you have now counseled people that probably ate six times a day because that's the diabetic diet. If you go to the ADA, uh, American Diabetic Association, pathetic, huh? And they... They encourage you to have more proteins and to eat more frequently through the day. So you're always keeping a certain glucose level there. So this is just the opposite of that. For one age, you're going to cut those six times down to four times. And what does that do? That cuts down your insulin production by probably about 60%. So now your pancreas gets to rest. Now you've changed the con constitution, the constituents of those two eating times from being very low carbohydrates to... Um, really no carbohydrates, just the whole protein. So there's even less required insulin to come out. So now you are primarily a glucagon, glucagon, asking your liver to produce your own insulin. So you're, you're produce, sorry. The glucagon is asking your liver to produce its own glucose. So now you're making your own glucose. You're not depending on anything you need to eat for. Isn't that amazing? So at this point, these are major, major steps down. So for some, um, within 90 days, you've had a remarkable change. If you check their labs again, more than likely, if you can keep them on track of what I've just described, uh, six months out, you will see somebody who is, one is they've rediscovered their body. And uh, yes, let's say they're working out, but they don't have to be you know, a bodybuilder workout. They're going to find um, having this amount of protein without the carbs, dropping the fat, their body becomes somewhat chiseled uh, by itself. And if you add in things like Dr. Ben's high-intensity training, uh, there you go. You know, it is amazing. So I've seen so many transformations, and I can thread that needle very well. I can thread that needle very well. Uh, along the way, I found their nutritional deficiencies I told you about. I found out you know, maybe they had a thyroid thing or didn't have a thyroid thing, but I found that out through labs and we adjusted those. We had those addressed. And so you just, you know, you just hit the low hanging fruit, get that out of the way. These people will probably be off their thyroid in a year if they had to go on their thyroid, if they were one of those kind of people that I just told you about. 
All right. So um, the third category of people that are just heavy, and it's not necessarily by, oh my gosh, look at my diet. These are people that have chronically elevated cortisol. And by the way, people who have chronically chronically elevated cortisol are eventually going to burn out. And they're going to they're going to be people who have really no cortisol. They're going to be exhausted, burned out, chronic fatigue, and all that. So you need cortisol, obviously, not just as a stress hormone in case the, the lion was chasing you in the woods and you just had to you know swerve out of the way or you know, save your life for that moment. It's less about that. It's just that we're in a culture where people have uh, sustained stress, for financial stress, uh, marital stress, um, environmental stress. And it's just so many reasons. And so it's always on. So when your stress is always on, your cortisol hits your glucagon. Now that you know what glucagon is, drives that to the liver to to constantly being pro- producing glucose. So you can actually get into diabetes without having had a lot of carbs because you're so stressed, you forced yourself to be in a very high glucose diet. You got that? So they force themselves stress cortisol, the glucagon, to the liver, making its own glucose called gluconeogenesis. And that's it. So diet is less about those people and it's more about their stress levels. And so from that, you you know, you've look into their hormone panel. That's why we do the hormone panel. It's a lot about stress. So you get to see at four time intervals, it does their, first of all, does their cortisol rise up for that, what they call, um, cortisol awakening response or dawn effect. So cortisol awakening response called CAR, so their CAR effect or their dawn effect. Um, Some people don't get that. They're exhausted. You know, they can't do that anymore. So they wake up tired. They didn't sleep well. And now they have to kind of shuffle off to wherever they're going. And it's downhill from there. So they need support. If Let me start with the person who had the high cortisol all the time. They need some stress management for one. They need to be able to break that relentless push, 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 push of stress. And some of it's thinking, so you can work on sleep. How are they going to get a better sleep? Maybe that would be an easy place to start. Dark room, cool, um, ideally no EMF in your in your bedroom. So you work on these hygiene factors. So if their sleep was poor and you addressed it, ah, there's that's you took a factor away of the stress. That's a good thing. Obviously, you'll check their melatonin, but that's part of the the hormone panel. You'll find out are they were low or they're high. So now you work to bring that down to normal levels. And you bring it down to a normal curve, right? Because you actually, uh, it's a urine test that you're doing four different times. So you're seeing where that is. And you're seeing the amount of cortisone versus cortisol, excuse me, um, various uh, sex hormones and so on. So you get the bigger picture. And now you can pick a piece, gradually bring it, help them, support them. So now let's take the other person who was pooped. They could, they didn't have a good car response. They didn't have a good dawn. Their their cortisol really just never rose up, and uh, they didn't sleep well. So now you're gonna have to do something to maybe give precursors for cortisol, help them give up, or or you there's a number of herbs too that you can help, which allow or slows down the 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 rate of breaking cortisol down. So you're maximizing its effectiveness. But these are some of the basic strategies that you use. And 
and it can go in various different directions. If somebody gets so pooped out that they just can't get their cortisol up and they're tired all the time, um, chronically low cortisol is going to open the door to all sorts of infection. Cortisol is is kind of the the alarm in the submarine, if you will, the aruga, 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 that stimulates your immune system, your white blood cells to jump into action when that needs to happen. And if you just can't muster the cortisol response, you're going to be chronically sick. So when people talk about they have chronic fatigue, you can bet that has a lot to do saying 95% chronic fatigue with just not being able to get their cortisol up. And then they start to go to all this very direction, various directions, and they can often get to be very, very confusing. So the last thing I had seen, and this is an amazing group that I've gone through, is that uh, we do genome. Genome is a big word. So we do an abbreviated genome. We look at about 80 different SNPs, singular mutations. And um, of these, I look at different, I call them ecosystems, different clusters. So you have the one that has to do with methylation. So you've heard of MTHFR, and there's two other... um, mutations that have to do with that cluster. And that cluster has to do with, if you have these mutations, which is a bad thing, but they can be addressed, then you most likely will have very elevated homocysteine. And that's a blood test that I do. So that would be the first hint that I had way back when I did their metabolic panel. So now I say, well, there's three mutations. And that basically just means on this sort of, I've seen this, this is uh, more common than you think. Uh, It basically just means for that, They'll need folate, B12, and B6. And ideally, and this is kind of controversial, it's not a black or white answer, what they call uh, methylated folate and methylated B12 seems to be preferred. Uh, The jury's not out on that, but you'll see that in uh, supplements. Methylated folate, methylated B12. So perhaps it's better. There's also research saying there's no difference. And then B6. To that, you'd be thinking about what does their diet look like? Look at uh, riboflavin. Riboflavin is the um, vitamin that makes your urine turn yellow. So uh, look at that as a nutritional deficiency. Did it come up in the metabolic panel? Did it come up in the intracellular panel? And look at choline. Think of choline as acetylcholine. It's a precursor for neurotransmitters. It's a precursor for things like um, SAMI, which is a part of the methylation cycle. So all these have to do this with a pretty tight little neighborhood of mutations. So if they're working pretty well there, that's probably great. But in this particular group that came came through, it was, if you looked at all their labs and the guy that had the most out of range labs, you know, most inflamed, highest homocysteine, the highest insulin, the highest glucose, on and on and on, that they had or he had the highest, you know, he had a, a very bad, I call them an intersection of these mutations. And so now, why did I go through this to him? It gave him a buy-in that his situation wasn't just from bad habits. He also had a predisposition to wanting to drink. He wasn't an alcoholic, but there, this, the, the, as he would say, addiction in his family. Well, now I realize the addiction in his family is a predisposition to wanting these things. And from there, it goes into addiction in terms of dopamine and serotonin and uh, and a few other mutations. But this is the heart of it. Really interesting, really interesting. So when I brought that up saying, you know, it's in part I'm saying it's not your fault, 
I here's I have something here that we can address, but I need you to understand it. So they um, had to understand it. We have to go over it again and again. And I put down a personal sort of video of my uh, story of all this to him and then recommend some here, a great opportunity to have some very specific supplements. I don't mean ones and twos, but have one that covers it all, kind of a multi with a focus on this. And there are multis that are focused on the homocysteine factors that I've just named out. So, um, so there you go. So that was just an amazing, you know, people's eyes wake up by, they had this thing all their life. Now it can be addressed. So a big weight comes off their shoulder. So yeah, they ate a lot of carbs. Yeah, but why did they do that? It's because they had a predisposition to addiction. Well, why did they have that? They had certain mutations, common mutations. This isn't esoteric, folks. Common mutations that could be addressed, that could alleviate that. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing burden taken off somebody's shoulder. You mean they don't have to be a diabetic the rest of their life? And it's not just a story of dropping the carbs is the point here. It's bigger than that, but dropping the carbs is necessary to do. So you can't do all this other, you know, fine to you know, fine tuning that I'm talking about without dropping the carbs. So that's kind of a drumbeat that goes on in the background. That's why you have to start with the bigger picture and get down to the smaller picture as you look to these things. Uh, but it is phenomenal. I mean, it really lights up some eyes. People really feel grateful that you came in in another way and they see that's ah, a little complicated, but it's not beyond them. And I and I say, you know, it's in part your responsibility to step up to meet me more than maybe halfway, maybe a third of the way up. So you're going to reach to understand, and I'm going to reach over and over and over again to discuss and have you understand this because this is your responsibility in the end. Is that interesting? So that's the perspective. Um, and I think I'm going to stop there. So we had the three reasons that. Uh, people have trouble losing weight. They have severe insulin resistance. We talked about that. They have possibly a thyroid problem. You have to address that as well, but it's not a for everything that you probably will normalize itself or it has normalized itself in, in my situations that I've dealt with. And elevated cortisol, which is from a life of elevated stress. And then now you're helping them to do that. And for that, we looked at obviously insulin, Fasting insulin, fasting glucose, glucagon, uh, CRP, triglycerides, and HDL were the core. And from that, and uh, the only expensive one there is the glucagon, but go get those done. You can get these done on your own now. I use Ulta Lab. Use Ulta Lab. You can, if you're in the United States, ask me to write that script for you, and I don't get a penny out of it. It's all on you, and it's pretty darn cheap. Save your life. Go save your life. Okay. Take care. Till next time. Hope you got something out today and more to come. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to Dr. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have. And so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So uh, please keep 
the questions coming, feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in. And I think that might have been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody, any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when, history and evolution, epilepsy, and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, such as schizophrenia or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. And also, just for people in losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto, and so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of, at least that's what I think I'm doing, is exploring the world of why are there other factors? And so in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results, and we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief, and these are the things that I've discovered, and I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.